Welcome back to Raw Vegan Lens. I'm your host, Sherry Michelle. Let's go. I really prefer to do a podcast episode when things are going great and life is beautiful and I can pass on some positive vibes, positive energy. Sometimes you just have to roll with it and we all go through things so I'm just going to be transparent as always and let's see where we start. I was having a lot of trouble staying raw while I was doing DoorDash. Uh, very frustrated that I had to do DoorDash, but I had two dog sits, animal sits left. Um, one in the end of May, beginning of June for a friend in Tennessee, and one in Missouri for my cousin at the end of the summer from like the 8th until the end of August. So I, I knew no employer would give me um, like six weeks off. <laughs> Well, I'll do DoorDash through this and just make it for the summer, and it's just temporary. Um, but it's very hard to stay raw when you're doing DoorDash, and I did have times where it was easy. Um, once you get on that horse, it's a lot easier um, than when you're first starting. But uh, anyway, the point is, I was having trouble with it, and I guess I had a YouTube going right before I left for Tennessee um, I didn't realize it or was distracted um, and wasn't really paying attention so I got down to Tennessee and with full plans to get clean get raw and uh, get my act together down there and the day the next day when uh, my friends left for their trip I developed hives my friend noticed that my face looked all red and blotchy and I was like oh no I have hives and I knew I was probably in trouble then because and by that time the UTI was obvious um, the last time this happened you'll probably remember was in about a year and a half ago um, I had a UTI while I was camping that just went I let it go too long usually I straighten it out with raw or fasting and I just couldn't get my act together and uh, it I guess it went on too long it was too much for my immune system I developed hives I developed this weird chest sweat that I would get when I slept where my chest would just sweat like crazy and that was the only part of my body that did that and then um, muscle weakness and when I was in Maine um, it was just in my upper body this time it was my upper and lower body and all I could do for those first like two or three days was take care of the animals and water their flowers I just could not hardly move and uh, it was really frustrating and I was kind of freaking out because 
it was so much worse than the first time I had it. I could hardly eat. I tried. I tried to eat salad and I just didn't want it. And also in the last week, oh God, brace yourselves. I knew it crossed over into being diabetic. I could tell because I was thirsty constantly. I was peeing all the time. And during the pandemic that happened twice, um, you might remember, and I would just quick get raw or fast and get it back in order and I would be fine and everything would go back to normal. It would take about a week. And uh, so I was also planning to get my food straight down there for that. But it had gotten worse than I thought. So I think it was the third day. Let's see, I got there, I think, on the 25th. 27th yeah 28th I got a call early in the morning that my niece had died and it just wrecked me I just lost it my niece Devin was the light of my life since the day she was born she was my best friend we talked all the time she was so fun, so supportive. She was my biggest fan in every way. And she was the niece that, you know, I love all of my nieces and nephews so much. Being an aunt is my favorite thing in the world. But Devin and I bonded differently because I was there when she was born. I happened to be living in Iowa because my dad was sick. And so... Um, I just spent so much time with her when she was little and um, I could have her anytime I wanted my sister was really great about that and so like um, we did tons of slumber parties and we were just really really close so uh, we found some coverage for the animal sit I started my niece's GoFundMe and drove straight to Iowa from Tennessee. I think I slept maybe two hours along the way. It's about an 11 hour drive. Uh, went straight to my nephew's, her, her brother's, and um, talked to him first, made sure he was okay. Um, you know, none of us are okay. We're still in shock. Like Devin was the life of the party. She was so excited every time we had a family get together. She was um, so excited about my other niece, Nikki's um, bridal shower coming up. We were, we were planning that together. We were throwing that together. She was so excited about her wedding. She just, she was just such a joy to be around. Infectious laugh, just highly intuitive. She was an incredible tarot reader. I got here I just figured well we've got a million things to do I had to you know start making all of the arrangements you know, for cremation and all of that and these things had to be done 
I gotta roll up the windows. And there's just so many things to be done, you know, in a situation like this. And uh, she, you know, she'd been transported to the morgue right away the day she died, like within, I think, an hour. Um, she was, yeah, at the medical examiner's. She died of a fentanyl overdose. We had no idea that she was doing this. She was smoking fentanyl with her boyfriend. And he's had a drug problem from the very beginning when they met. He claims that they were introduced to it at the same time. That may be true, but she had wanted to leave him several times. And, you know, if anyone ever tells you they're going to give their partner one more chance, like, know that that one more chance may cost them their life. It cost her her life. She was so close to leaving him and decided to give him one more chance. And that was back in the winter or maybe the fall. And I know she loved him and I know he loved her, but he's, he's, he's young, younger than her and just couldn't seem to get it together, hold a job. And it was just so much pressure on her and she was just drowning in it. Anyway, um, I got here and just thought, you know, I'm just gonna try to get my food together after this is over. I'm just gonna eat my feelings like I have so many other times. Uh, when my partner got here the next day, um, we had Mexican. The next night we had pizza. I took my other niece out to lunch so we could talk. Um, we should have gone for a walk instead. Um, yeah, we just, I just ate what made me feel good. And then he had to go back home to see clients. And, um, I had mentioned to my aunt that I knew I had become diabetic and that I had to get this straightened out, but I, I just couldn't deal with that on top of all of this at the same time. And so she said, do you want to check your blood sugar because she's diabetic but she she wears a, a patch now and electronic and monitors her sugar and but she had an old test kit and I was like nah I feel fine now and uh but then I was that night that was a Friday I was uh, my niece died on Sunday and this was that following Friday after we'd been just every day it was a marathon for the first week making arrangements um going to get her ashes and everything and and just all the while we're still in shock and today even I'm in shock it's it's been quite a while now it's the 10th the 11th of, of June but it just still doesn't seem real um anyway I was getting some baby things together for my nephew her brother and uh I said, you know, I feel kind of nauseous. I think my blood sugar might be low, thinking like maybe I was just hypoglycemic. And so I said, I think I'll, I, I will test my sugar now. So my aunt tested it and it was 246. I was floored. 
my blood sugar has never been higher than 123. And that was a silly thing because I ate a couple donuts before a doctor's appointment um, a couple of years ago when uh, I was nervous about seeing him about this thing on my arm. And um, that's no longer there. And uh, so 246, I was like, oh my God, I've got to get this under control right now. And I told her I'm going to fast. That's the quickest way to get your blood sugar to normalize. And uh, so I did. And let's see, on the eighth day, like it just steadily came down and came down and came down. It was really beautiful to see it um, just whip into shape. And so I just um, had distilled water for eight days. The afternoon of the eighth day, I just had no energy for anything, which is not normal when I fast. Usually my energy's fine. Um, I knew it had to be the autoimmune. And so I um, decided to break the fast and do um, John Rose's prune test. I only had four ounces, though, instead of eight ounces of prunes. I can't imagine eating eight ounces of, of soaked prunes. That was, it was rough eating four ounces. But got through that, passed them, um, had some watermelon. Um, it shot up to, I think, like 165, but then came down. And um, I, knew, I, knew, I knew it would. This was pretty sweet stuff after having nothing for, you know, eight days. And then... Uh, it just kept, you know, coming down pretty much. So it's in the normal range. Um, well, I think the last time I checked it, it was 111. So pretty good. Um, I pushed it a little uh, and had some cashews. And now I'm paying the price of stomach cramps. Um, because you're only supposed to have juicy fruits for the first couple of days. So I did go to the store just now and get pineapple and... Um, um, grapefruit, and I still have some watermelon left. I'm going to go in another store and get some greens because I really think that'll help with my energy. It always has in the past. Um, but the thing is, like, just going into the store was completely exhausting. I'm moving so slowly. I can't believe how little energy I have. It really makes me think I just I have a lot of the symptoms of MS and I really hope that's not what this is um, you know by the time I was supposed to go to the rheumatologist to get a, a, a real diagnosis because my doctor couldn't find anything um, couldn't figure out what it was I had already gone to Hawaii and fasted and all the symptoms were gone so I just canceled the appointment and then, you know, a year passed and here I am with it coming back worse. And I know I had eaten some crap, you know, I'd been same old, same old on raw, off raw, on raw, off raw. Um, and doing DoorDash when I was off raw, it was pretty bad, like wing stop bad. I really, really regret that. Um, but, you know, I just have to look forward. You know, I had some cravings for oh, this wrap that they sell here. That I, Oh, God. It's the best wrap I've ever had in my life. But 
I know that if I have that, it's oh god, just give me the worst stomachache and just take any remaining energy I have. It's not, you know, there's meat in it. Like it's you know absolutely not what I need at all. So all these years, 17 years, I've monkeyed back and forth with raw and. And now I don't have that luxury of monkeying around with it anymore. Now I've eaten myself into a corner. And between the diabetes and the autoimmune, um, this is the way I need to live now. I do believe I can get my strength back only because um, I've watched a lot of Terry, Dr. Terry Wall's videos um, from the University of Iowa. She has a fantastic TED talk where she talks about minding your mitochondria and how she was, I may have talked about this before, but she was wheelchair bound uh, and really in bad shape with MS. But because she had access to the latest research, she was able to build a diet um, out of that research and also um, realizing that our ancestors had a much better way of eating than the food pyramid, than, than any other recommended way of eating. These, that's available to us these days and uh, that this is these are the things fruits vegetables um, organ meats um, omega-3 um, yeah like lots of fruits and vegetables and I just um, I can't bring myself to eat the meat right now I'm not saying never but I may just have to change the way I I feel about um, that, but she went from being in a wheelchair, um, like an anti-gravity kind of like the tilted one where you kind of lay back to riding horses and riding her bike and, uh, you know, walking without a cane. And so she did that in a fairly short amount of time. So... She has several good books and many videos. And on YouTube, you can find those. Dr. Terry Walls at the University of Iowa. But I really recommend the TED Talk just because it encapsulates so much of that information in a nice, um, short uh, video. So that really gives me hope. I had looked that information up for a woman I worked with years ago. And it just really interested me. She never responded. I don't know if she just didn't believe it or what. It's not like Dr. Terry Walls is some, uh, you know, tree hugger. And, you know, I mean, nothing against hugging trees, but she's a doctor at the University of Iowa. And she went to the Cleveland Clinic for the best treatment for MS and just got worse and worse and worse and was only able to turn it around by taking matters into her own hands and eating to heal. So, 
If she can do it, I can do it. It's hard not to feel um, defeated right now. I do feel discouraged. Um, I feel a little scared. But I know what to do, and so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for all of the things that I studied and learned since 2000 when I bought Giuliano's book. So, yeah, the last 23 years. I know I can do this. So, grieving hard. I still have my niece's celebration of life um, coming up on the 16th. Next Friday. And, um, you know, I never wanted to outlive her. I never wanted to know what life was like without her. But here I am, and you have to move forward. And you have to believe that you'll find joy again. But life was so good with her. I was telling myself this morning, will you live the first 26 years of your life without her before she was born? But life was so much better with her. So fun, so joyous, so full of surprises. So much love, so much laughter. She was so fun. I just cannot believe. Let's end this on a, a high note. Um, the pastor that's giving her eulogy, I had watched her TikToks and learned as much as she could about her before kind of interviewing us about her life and our family and... Um, she said to me, um, you know, my niece was my biggest fan uh, of my books. She always wanted me to write more. She also wanted me to live here again, and I really regret that I didn't. But um, this pastor, Emma, asked me, do you think that Devin's signs will be from nature? And I said, probably. And at that point, I had already, on the way from Tennessee to Iowa, I had begged her, Devin, I have to see a sign. I have to know it's you. Make it something really specific so I don't, I can't just write it off, please. You know, I wrote a whole book about this kind of thing. My first book was called Swallowtail, and it was very much about signs from the other side and So, one night, uh, I think it was the night that Gabe got here, we were sitting in the backyard at my aunt's house, and I went to brush something from my arm, and it was this little green insect. And then a few minutes later, I was walking uh, my dog up on her upper terrace, and she had a little green insect just like it on her back. And they looked just like this one who had just fallen in love with Devin one time when we were on the patio at this restaurant in Chicago called Fat Cat. And this little green insect had landed on her and just stayed with her all night long. And she, I have this beautiful picture of her holding him on her hand next to her face and her, like with her eyes closed, doing like a little kiss. I just love that because it just 
it just shows you the kind of person she was and how everyone was attracted to her. So I'd already had that when Pastor Emma asked me if I thought the signs would be from nature. Then, um, one morning I was at her apartment. We had to clean out her apartment. And it was a huge job, but we were almost done. And I went over there to get her mail. And I saw a swallowtail butterfly in the yard. And I only see one of those maybe once every couple of years. And, you know, the name of my first book was Swallowtail. The original cover had a tiger swallowtail just like that on the cover. So that was my second big sign. Um, I had, um, oh, on the way to her apartment that morning, I saw her name on a license plate. It was spelled differently, D-E-V-Y-N instead of D-E-V-E-N. But I have never ever seen her name on a license plate and when I was a chauffeur I used to drive 80 hours a week I've seen you know more than my fair share of license plates and I have never seen her name on a license plate so that was pretty cool and she would know like I always look at license plates for angel numbers so and for my sister's initials I see those a lot too so that was neat and then this is really the big one. Devin and I did a TikTok about how animals go to people for help that they know will help them, and then they start bringing other animals. They spread the word. She's like, you know, hey, come to this lady. She helps us get better, and she feeds us. I'll show you where she lives. So we were doing that TikTok together, and she tells me, I said, oh, tell them about the raccoons, the baby raccoons. She's like, oh, my gosh. So she says, I'm at work. She was working at CVS at that time. And she overhears this man say, I don't know what I'm going to do with these baby raccoons. And she started laughing. She said, I'm sorry, did I just hear you say you have some baby raccoons? And he's like, yeah, but nobody will take them. I've called everybody I can think of. And she said, I know someone. She said, my grandma, Linda Fobian, has worked with animal rehabilitators, wildlife rehabilitators, you know, for years and years and years, and she can take them to a rehabilitator for you. And, um, we were, we just laughed about that. Cause it was just like, so funny. Like he just happened to say this in front of the right person. There are no accidents, no coincidences. So what happens the other night? And <laughs> this is just nuts. I'm driving home and I'm on the highway. It's a four lane highway with a concrete median in the middle. And I'm on the phone with my other niece, Nikki, and who was like a sister to her. She's on the phone with me the whole time this happens. I have my Air, AirPods in and, uh, or one of them in. And she, I, I see this pile like on the road and realize at the last second, they're baby raccoons. They're in the inner lane, like kind of near the median and I'm in that lane and so I swerved at the last second to try to get them between the wheels and I succeeded I heard a thunk but nobody had a mark on him there were three of them just in this little pig pile in the middle of the highway and so I stopped my car put on the hazards um, herded them to the side of the road then tried to catch them in a jacket a guy pulled over in a truck and he helped me catch him too. Um, 
I don't think I could have done it without him. But we got them all into my trunk. I called Devin's grandma. I told her what happened. I said, I'm on my way. Oh my gosh. That's just, that's very specific. That's a very specific sign. And you know that I have gotten out of the animal communication business. I closed my practice because there were some clients that just took and took and took and took and took. You know, I was doing a lot of free grief counseling. And then also I had clients that were texting me like upwards of 70 times a day and just could not respect boundaries. And it was just sucking the life out of me. And I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. And when I consulted my dousing rods and my pendulum, they both said it was not in my best interest to do this work anymore. But when these baby raccoons, you know, came onto the scene, I was like, what is going on? That was the third animal rescue in four weeks, if I'm, if I'm counting right. First, we had this little baby bunny that I almost hit in Chicago all by himself. Turned out he was old enough to be out of the nest. He was just crossing a really busy street and uh, couldn't get up the curb. He was so tiny. So they advised me, the rehabilitator advised me to let him go the next day in a cemetery and he would be safe. That's a really great place for them to grow. So I did that. That went off very smoothly. Um, then I was in my car coming home from work and I saw a big pit bull. He had to have been about 80 pounds playing with another dog in a yard, just like racing around. And the, the little dog belonged to the people that lived there and they were trying to catch him and they were just having a blast racing around. And then all of a sudden the pit bull dodged out into traffic, just darted out and got hit and it threw him like 10, 12 feet up against the curb. It was horrifying. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. And of course the woman, you know, the, who hit him felt terrible. She didn't mean to, she could, there's no way she could have seen him coming. But I got him, got the guy in the yard to help me get him into my car. And I took him to my vet who was just nine minutes away, rushed him to the vet. They worked on him for a long time, but he didn't make it. And that was really, really hard. I felt so bad for him. He was pretty dirty and he had a collar, but no tags, no chips. So I think he'd been on his own for a while and just was so happy to find a friend to play with. And one minute he was playing and having a great time and the next minute he was gone. I really think he probably died instantly. I couldn't tell if he was in shock. I didn't see it him breathing, but I thought, I just, I don't know. So that's why I took him to the vet and I'm glad I did. I mean, they were glad I did. And anyway, and then the baby raccoons. So I consulted my pendulum and my rods again after the baby raccoons and said, is it in my best interest to resume this work? And they said, yes. And I said, should I charge for grief counseling this time? And they said, yes. So I'm still thinking that over because right now I just have no energy and no strength and I have to get through this celebration of life for my niece. We still have some things to get finished this week. I made her video. I spent about, 
I'd say 25 hours on her memorial video and I still need to make another one so with her own music on it this one I posted on YouTube so anyone could watch it at any time um, but the one that we'd like to have playing at the uh, celebration of life would have her own music and then to top things off as if we don't have enough stress her boyfriend is just in his own state of mind of course grieving hard he's the one that found her he feels guilty i think as well he probably should he did play a large part in this um i mean to be messing around with something as dangerous as fentanyl which if an amount that fits on the head of a pin touches your skin you're dead so imagine smoking it and thinking like you can control you know you know what you're doing no you're not a pharmacist I'm not so sure even a pharmacist, uh, you know, has complete control over a, a substance that toxic. But um, he took all of her most personal possessions, including all of her tarot cards. And so I asked him, you know, I, I, do you have these things? Because normally when people give gifts um, to someone and they pass away, those gifts go back to the people who gave them to the deceased. And he's very young and he didn't know this and just didn't think. He just, he's using them to try to bring her back to life. Meanwhile, her ashes are sitting on my aunt's dining room table. Like, that's what we're dealing with there. And we should just let him keep the tarot cards because they're just full of bad energy now. I mean... I have no doubt whatsoever that he's making deals with the devil. Anybody that can, not that I necessarily believe in the devil, but I do believe in, in dark entities and things like that. And I, I think he would resort to absolutely anything to bring her back. So very concerning. Um, we haven't seen him yet, but he's probably going to be at the celebration of life with his cousin who likes to pick fights and my brother has some friends who are not going to stand for that and he said they'll promptly escort them outside and and beat them I said my god I don't want anything to happen to these kids and we let the pastor know all of this and she said in a case like this I really think it's best to have a police presence so we're going to have a police car in the parking lot at the celebration of life all I know is that my niece would want it to be a peaceful, happy celebration, um, and we are trying to do our best to make it so, with the odds stacked against us, but I just hope that everyone is on their best behavior that day. Um, I hope I'm on my best behavior um, in, in all regards, in regards to food and... Um, I just can't afford not to color outside the lines now. I just, I just, I can't afford to. If I want to have any kind of life, any quality of life, if I want to have the energy to just do everyday things, like get a few groceries just now, I have got to embrace raw veganism wholeheartedly so 
I know that I'll be happier doing so. I've just, you know, gone back and forth so many times for so many years that I've always had one foot on both sides, I guess. I love to cook food. I loved it. But I love life. I do. I'm going to find a way to love life without my niece here. I have to. You know, there's other people. I have other nieces and nephews. I have a brother. I have an aunt. I have fantastic cousins. Like, there's so much to live for. I'm just going to have to find a way. And it's going to... It's going to be slow going, I think, but for any of you out there who are dealing with something similar, my heart really goes out to you. Carpe diem.